Well, do keep that page open in your Bibles if you would. It's been said that the Christian life is, um, is not a sprint, but is a long distance race. And as we, as we start the year, perhaps some of you are looking to the year ahead, uh, Christian-wise, but just, just generally it's that time of year we sort of, we sort of look ahead, maybe resolutions are made and we think, how long will those last? Um, I've got a little sort of bit of paper taped to the, to the side of the cupboard in the kitchen. I'm trying to, less time on my phone, more time reading or something. So just 15 minutes a day, put the phone down and, and open a book. So there we go. And I'm, I'm ticking off day by day as I'm doing that. And I, c- I can kind of watch. And h- how long will that last? And maybe in our Christian lives, we have the same sort of, sort of question. Okay, well, being a Christian, it's not just a, a quick burst of enthusiasm and then sit down. But it's, it's a long distance race. It's been described as a long obedience in the same direction. That sounds quite hard. What is going to keep us going? When I used to be a sprinter, you wouldn't know it now, but I used to be a sprinter. You, you know, one lap of the track, sit down, cup of tea, put your feet up, done. It's brilliant. Who would, who would be a long distance runner? Because it's, it, you can't do it in a moment. It's about, it's about that endurance. And the Christian life is, is like that. And these letters, to the churches, uh, from the risen Jesus, he's wanting his people to keep going and aware that there will be different temptations, different pressures, different circumstances that might make it hard to keep going. And so I think we can hear these letters to us as individuals, if we're we're Christian believers, how how can we keep going? I think as as a church as a whole, you can hear these, how can Town Church Bicester keep going, keep persevering? And every letter, has a slightly different flavour. And today we're looking at this letter to the church in Smyrna, modern day Turkey, back that sort of ancient Greece, but modern day Turkey. And so at one level, it, it's, it's, a, it's a real place. This was a real church. And actually later we'll talk about one particular person we, we, we know from outside the Bible who lived there. But it was also, as well as being a real church and a real, um, real situation, it's a representative church across these seven letters I think we get the temptations, the trials, the challenges that the churches of all ages will face. And so across these seven, the Lord Jesus will tell Town Church Bicester what you need to know to keep going. And perhaps even for different people here, it might be different letters are more or less applicable. For some it might be one letter that just that's that's just the challenge or the trial or the temptation we need to hear about. For others it might be elsewhere. Smyrna, you'll see as you, as you read, that the church is, is commended. There's no internal problems in the church. Their problem is external. They're facing suffering or persecution. And we'll think about what that looks like. Smyrna is a letter for churches that are struggling. We wonderful in the prayers to pray for the church in North Korea, places where Christians, well, you, you're not allowed to be a Christian many places around the world where Christians are persecuted physically. It's estimated one in ten Christians today will have faced physical violence simply for believing in Jesus. Mercifully, that's not the case, I imagine, for many, if any, here. But there'll still be persecutions that we might face. And so in this letter to Smyrna, we're going we're gonna to learn what do you do when that happens? And of course, different letters might be more applicable at different times for different people right, right now, but in five, ten years' time, what will the future face? 
We don't know if, if this letter to the church who was really suffering might become more applicable to this church in this country. It certainly seems like things might be going that way, perhaps getting harder to be a Christian in public, in, in the work world of work. So we're going to see two encouragements to this faithful but struggling and persecuted church. Two encouragements. And both of them really are I, um, a sort of a change of perspective, uh, a different way of looking at things. Two encouragements to keep going. Firstly, the risen Jesus says to this church in Smyrna, when you're poor, you're actually rich. When you're poor, you are rich. The, the, the letter begins there in verse 8 to the angel, pr- probably the leader, but we're not sure. Maybe angel in heaven who represents the church. But sort of to the church in Smyrna, write, these are the words of him who is the first and last who died and came to life again. Again, a description of Jesus Christ. But here are a sort of a, a, a pulling the camera back, a vast picture, the first and last who died and came to life. There is no grander, there is no more powerful way of describing Jesus. And that's important for this particular church. They need to know the power, the authority, the life-giving nature of Jesus. And Jesus says to this church, I know your afflictions and your poverty. I mean, just pause there. That in itself is an amazing thing. This one who created all things, set the stars in place, says to every one of his people, I know your afflictions. Not just in general, I know what you're going through. Maybe some of us here are struggling in ways that even the person next to you would have no idea about. Maybe private things, maybe things we're battling with, things we're wrestling with, things that are very personal and Jesus doesn't just care generally for his people. He cares personally. I know your afflictions, he says. And, and can we hear the compassion in his voice as he says that? I know your afflictions. I, I get it. And of course, this is a man who didn't stand far off, but, but came and lived in a world of affliction, came and walked the hard road of suffering, came and, uh, and got in amongst the muck and the mess of life and says, I know your afflictions. And so for some of us, just let that be a comfort He says to them, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Uh, Just a bit of a background. So we're in the, the days of the Roman Empire. And basically to get on in business, to get on in life, you had to worship the emperor, you had to pay tribute to the emperor. The emperor was so significant and there was this kind of of worship of the emperor going on. But Jews, well they had a bit of a a license to to get away with doing their own thing. They were a permitted religion in the Roman Empire. And seemingly what was happening in Smyrna was that the the Christians were being told, you're not going to be allowed this religious freedom. Actually the the, the Jewish people were sort of dobbing them in and saying, no, these Christians, you, you've got to clamp down on them. And so because the Christians refused to worship the emperor, refused to sort of join in in, in, in all of that, they were looked over for jobs, they couldn't be part of the trade guild. And so when it has, says here, I know your poverty, these were believers who were not getting on in life 
because they said, I'm going to put Jesus first. Actually, we'll, a little later I'll read you the account of, of someone from Smyrna and the account of his trial where he's told, look, he, he was burned at the stake. They said, look, just, just, just worship the emperor and you can walk away free. Don't have to stop worshiping Jesus, just worship the emperor as well and you can walk away free. And he, he, he wouldn't. And so this church is, is suffering tribulation, suffering poverty financially. People losing their jobs because of their religious stand they're taking. Because I'm a Christian, I can't do that. And as we delve into first century Turkey, doesn't that sound like the world that is increasingly becoming a reality for many today, where increasingly actually being a Christian might mean if I, if, I, if I say I'm a Christian, I, I think I'm going to overlook at work. If I say I'm a Christian, I might even lose my job. If I say, no, I'm going I'm to stick to biblical teaching, that won't be acceptable. I'll be cancelled. And there's great encouragement in thinking, this is hard, but it's not new. That was a reality for the church here in Smyrna. They were facing poverty, they were facing financial... It, it just even in society, they were looked down on because they wouldn't join in what everyone else in society was doing. Because they said, no, we're going to put Jesus first. And Jesus looks at a church like that. He must have felt weak, he must have felt vulnerable, he must have thought, is it even worth keeping on going at times? And Jesus says, I know your poverty. I know your afflictions. That's comfort in itself, but he also then says, yet you are rich. I think he's saying, actually, that is a sign. The fact that you've not just joined in with society, that's a sign that there is spiritual life. Greater riches than the advancement in society, than the advancement in your career, there's greater riches. But we need to see that. This church looked poor, Jesus says, you're rich. Gee, some of them might even be thrown in prison. Verse 10, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Like many Christians today, the people in Smyrna were facing imprisonment simply for believing in Jesus. I mean, obviously it would be the Roman authorities, and others who would put them in prison. But notice how Jesus says here, the devil will put you in prison. There's, there is something satanic behind this attack on his people. And he's saying, yeah, it might get hard. It might get really hard. That, that 10 days, I think, is a symbolic number. I don't, I don't think he's saying 10 days and then you're done. I think it's a, a symbolic number, as most numbers in Revelation are. I think it's symbolic for a limited period of time. This will not go on forever. It's a limited period of time. It also links back to, to, we get 10 days in the book of Daniel, when Daniel and his friends refused to join in with eating the king's food and doing everything the king's way, and they were tested for 10 days. And I think Jesus here is saying, wait a minute, this is what you're experiencing. That's what, that's what God's people have always experienced. You, you're part of a long history. You're not doing something weird here. And of course, that's what Jesus himself experienced, being rejected, suffering because he wouldn't go the way of the authorities and Jesus is wanting to say look you may feel 
you may feel really vulnerable. You may be thinking, maybe in your church prayer meeting you're there going, have we got this completely wrong? Do, do we need to just rethink our faith? Do we need to rethink our moral standards? Do we need to rethink because life is so hard, maybe we've got it wrong? And Jesus is saying, no, don't, don't be afraid. I know your affliction. This is what God's people have gone through in the past. I read, um, I read an article last year in the paper about um, Edin Hazard. People know the um, uh, Chelsea footballer um, was... Uh, was basically, this is a, I think the article was last year, referring to the previous season, he's basically at the time pretty much the number one footballer in, in the UK, uh, in, the, in the Premier League. And it was an article noting how many times he'd been fouled. And he had been fouled, and there's a great photo in the article of him sort of mid-air, having been completely, completely taken out. And it was saying how he was the most fouled player in the Premier League. Why? Well, because he was arguably the most dangerous player in the Premier League. Teams realised, they looked at him and thought, he's the danger man. He gets the ball, they're going to score. And so we'll, we'll take him out. Now, I imagine Eden Hazard realised that when he, when he gets home, I got fouled again. Maybe I'm doing it all wrong. Oh, I got fouled again today. Maybe, maybe I'm not good at this football thing. No. The fact you're fouled, that's a sign that you're doing it right. It's a sign you're doing it right. And I think Jesus is saying the same to the Christians here. Life being hard for you, don't think that means you're doing it wrong. It probably means you're doing it right. And, and, and Satan wants to have a go. You realise, here's someone we've got to stop. It may feel hard being poor, being marginalised, not getting on in life actually financially being poor because of stands we make. A friend of mine was an estate agent and, and he, he said, look, I'm, I, I'm not going to knowingly lie to my clients. They said, you're finished in this company. That's, sorry, that's not about all estate agents, but the company he was in, he was told, and he had, he's had to change career. So he got told, you're finished. He said, look, I'm not, I'm not going to say something I know to be factually untrue. And they said, well, that's it, you're out. Lost his job. Jesus is saying that, that's, that's a sign of spiritual riches. But we need to know that, because otherwise all we see is the reality of suffering and poverty and hardship. Jesus says, when you're poor, you're rich. So keep going. The second sort of reversal we get in the last, last few verses. When you're poor, actually you're rich. Even more striking, Jesus says, when you die, you live. This, they're, they're hard words to read here of this church in Smyrna, of what they faced. He speaks of you know, them being put in prison, suffering persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death and I'll give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Be faithful unto death. Jesus is saying for some of you, you church in Smyrna, it might be that this persecution actually leads to the ending of your life. For some it will end, for some it will be limited, but for some it, it might lead to death. That's the severity. But Jesus says, actually, even then, even as your life is taken, what you're given is life, eternal life. 
not just unending life, but a quality of life. Life with Jesus as your victor's crown. I'll give you this crown of life. So he said, even if your life is taken, actually that is only the gateway to life. Greater life. We perhaps think of the words of the psalmist. If God is for us, what can man do to us? If the worst that could happen to a Christian believer... And this in no sense is to minimise the suffering that Christian believers face. But if the worst that can happen to a Christian believer is that our life is taken and we enter the glory of Christ and see his face, if that's the worst that can happen, Jesus is saying there's comfort there. But we need to step back. In the words of the song we, we sang earlier, we need to behold our God. You see, what we see is we see the poverty, we see the death, we see the hardship. And Jesus is saying you need to step back and see things are not as they seem. Yes, this is not going to make it easy along the way. There'll be the call for endurance, but see that when you're poor, when things feel really bad, that might be a sign you're getting this Christian life absolutely right. Town Church Bister, when you face suffering and persecution, that might be the sign that you're getting this Christian life absolutely right. And even when we perhaps face death, as I imagine... I don't know, I imagine probably no one in this room has, though of course it might be. But Christians around the world are facing this today. Even then, that death is only the gateway to life. See, that's why Jesus was described in the way he was. These are the words of him who is the first and last, who died and came to life again. It's interesting, every one of the letters has a different description of Jesus at the start. I think because, depending on the circumstances you're in, there is a different aspect of Jesus' character you need to focus on. And if this is where you're at, either now or in the future, what you need to know is that Jesus is the one who is beginning and end. He died and came to life. He's the God of resurrection. That's what you need to know as you're perhaps facing death. We don't know exactly when this was written, this letter, best guess is about 90 AD. About 30 or so years later, a man called Polycarp became bishop of the church in Smyrna. Uh, I was reading literally just this week, apparently we seem to think from the excellent, Polycarp knew the Apostle John who was writing this letter. So very close contemporary, I think very likely would have read this letter, you know, someone from the church in Smyrna who read this letter found himself arrested for refusing to worship the emperor and the Roman gods. I won't read it all because you get this lovely long extract, but even as he was arrested, he asked for time to pray and for two hours <laughs> while his captors were there, they kind of couldn't take him away because he was just praying for two hours, praising the Lord. Anyway, eventually he's brought to the arena and they encourage him. They say, swear by the genius of Caesar. Say, away with the atheists. Christians were called atheists because they didn't worship the emperor and the gods. They were, Christians were known as atheists. Said, said, look, Polycarp, you're an old man. Say, away with the atheists. Deny Christ. Worship the emperor and you'll be free. Polycarp's words. He looked at everyone. He looked at the crowd of Law, lawless people in the arena, waving his hand at them. 
he groaned and looked up to heaven. Revile Christ, they said. Polycarp replied, for 80 and six years I have been his servant and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? When he persisted again, they said, swear by the genius of Caesar. He said plainly, I am a Christian. The proconsul said, I have wild beasts. I will deliver you, them, deliver, them to, deliver you to them unless you repent. He says, call for them. Repent here again, turning away from Christian faith to worship the emperor. Again, he said to them, uh, you threaten with a fire that burns for a time and is quickly quenched. For you do not know the fire which awaits the wicked in the judgment to come and in everlasting punishment. But why are you waiting? Come, do what you will. The biographer writes, and with these and many other words, he was filled with courage and joy and his face was full of grace. And it, and, and it, and it continues and eventually Polycarp lost his life, burned at the stake there. Uh, and his last words, he's there still praising Jesus. And I love those words, for 80 and six years I've been his servant. He's done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Astonishingly, these words written to the church in Smyrna, just a few years, after the, a few years afterwards, one of their number faced exactly what is written here. Persecution, even to the point of death. And Polycarp was faithful. Faithful why? Because he knew who Jesus was. He knew who was the first and the last, the beginning and end, who died and came to life again, who was utterly trustworthy. And Christians today, this is the reality for some around the world. Just people may have seen in Christianity Today reported just this last month in Nigeria, Boko Haram beheaded a church leader, Reverend Lawan Andimi. Maybe you saw his, his video as he kind of read the pre-prepared captor's statement, but, but even then spoke of his joy and confidence in Christ and almost turned it into a testimony. Beheaded because he refused to renounce Christ. Why? Because he saw spiritual realities. Even this poverty, well that's riches. Even the worst they can throw, death. Well there's life in Christ. And so, as we said at the start, these are the words of Jesus to the church in Smyrna, but actually to, to the church of all ages, Seven letters, not all of us will be facing all the situations of the seven, but for some of us, in the next ten years, might this be more the situation we face? Might it be a warning to us? Even if this isn't our experience now, physical persecution, I think these words would say, be ready. It's a, it's a sobering letter of what the normal Christian life is like. Jesus in John 15 said, if they've hated and persecuted me, they'll hate and persecute you also. So, I guess some of you here probably face hostility maybe, maybe persecution is too strong, maybe hostility at work for being a Christian. Maybe you feel that to express what you believe in public would cause not just criticism, but perhaps either lack of advancement or losing your job. Any school-age ones among us? At school to say, I believe in Jesus. I think Jesus is the only way to God. I believe God's way is best. If 
friend of mine's son was, um, was sort of called up by the school um, and, and they contacted his parents because he was just speaking of, speaking of Christ to his schoolmates. Um, knowing the family, I imagine, in a very gracious way. But the school were not happy. This church, will a day come when Town Church Bista cannot meet unless, well it won't be worship the emperor, but unless you do something. Okay, if you, if you want to meet in this school, if you, if you want to meet, there'll be certain things you can't say Town Church Bista. We, we just need you to, to just, just cool off in that area and that area. And Christians and churches might start to face that poverty. Uh, nowhere to meet. Uh, no recognition. Funny, it's hard to make headway. And when we face that, if we face that, I don't know what the future holds. But if that's what we face, we need to have that big picture. We, you see, if, if all we see is what's in front of us, we might think, have, have we blown this? Have we got this wrong? <coughs> if I'm suffering, is that because I'm a bad Christian? If our church is, is not being... The church I used to... We were a church plant... The school that we were meeting eventually kicked us out because they said, we don't like this Christianity you're teaching. If that happens, you need to know the big picture. Though you may be poor, and Jesus is not for a second saying that's easy, you need to realise that, that is spiritual riches, but you need, you need to know that by faith. That it is better to be rich in Christ than to have all the advantages of the world even if death comes, mercifully not a reality, I imagine, for probably anyone in this country for their faith. But if that were to come, we need to know actually eternal life with Christ, begun now, but enjoyed fully when he returns, that is greater. When we're poor, we're rich. When we, we die, we live. And of course, it might be you're sitting here thinking, wow, well, I've just come along to church for the first time, wondering what it was all about, and it sounds pretty miserable. This Christian life, who'd want to be a Christian? Maybe you're investigating. Maybe you just think it all sounds pretty weird. Well, it's hard at times being a Christian. We follow a crucified, then risen saviour. Being a Christian does not mean your problems disappear. Uh, suddenly your bank account becomes miraculously healthy and stable. Your family relationships, well, they're suddenly easy. And you just sail off into this glorious future. No, that's not the reality. The reality is, is hardship at times. But with glorious hope. That even in, in the midst of that poverty, there is riches knowing real relationship, real forgiveness in Jesus Christ. There is riches knowing that, that death is not the end, but there is eternal life to come. Actually, for those of us here who are Christians, it's this big picture which is why we want to tell our friends about Jesus, isn't it? The fact that on the worldly sense of it, sometimes it doesn't make much sense being a Christian, but we want to say, step back, there's bigger realities. The one who is victorious. I think that really just means who keeps going. The one who keeps going will not be hurt at all by the second death. There is, there is a day of judgment coming. And those who've come to Christ know hope through that judgment, 
through his sacrifice for us. And this is why we want to tell our friends about, about Jesus. Not become a Christian in life, you'll become easy, but become a Christian and you have great hope, even in the ups and downs of life. It's a long obedience in the same direction. If all we can see is the circumstances around us, there'll be times we're discouraged. We need, to, we need to see the bigger picture. We need to behold our God, as, um, as we sang in the song. We need to see that when we're poor, actually we're rich. Take comfort if you're experiencing trials for your Christian faith. Remember Eden Hazard. That is probably a sign you're doing something right. We need to remember that even if we die, this life is not all there is. There is the glorious hope of resurrection to come. You see, when we face trials, we don't need to think, am I stronger than these people, these circumstances, these trials? Because probably we're not. We need to know that Jesus is stronger than these trials and these circumstances. The words of Polycarp, again to close. For, eight, for 80 and six years I have been his servant. He has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Let me pray. Loving Lord, thank you that Jesus is the first and last, the, the one who died but has raised. Thank you for the, the hope that gives us. We do pray you'd help us to see these realities and so to keep going, following our Saviour, knowing that resurrection life is to come. We pray you'd be with us, particularly be with any who are struggling. Be with our brothers and sisters across the world who are struggling today because of their faith in Christ. Give us all such a big view of Jesus that we might keep persevering. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close by singing, singing two songs. Um, the first one, 10,000 Reasons. This, this song um, was actually sung by um, some Christians on death row. Um, again, an, an article on Christianity Today. These Christians who, I think on death row, had become Christians. And as they were, as they were executed, um, they, they were singing this song as they were in front of the firing squad, um, speaking of the hope they could have in Christ, even in the midst of suffering. And then the final song, He Will Hold Me Fast, speaking of that hope we have if we trust in Jesus. So let's stand and we'll sing together. <laughs>